0: Appreciate that. You know, I think that for me, I'm a uh, I'm a pretty simple guy. You know, and um, and lean is is simple. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, there's a lot of consultants, there's a lot of leaders out there that, uh, unfortunately, have have felt like they need to add all of this complexity to something that maybe doesn't need it. You know, and and I think that one of the things that I appreciate about what Toyota did is, and in, in, is that it's, it is a simple concept. And if you understand the concepts around continuous improvement and becoming a learning organization, then anyone can do it in any industry, you know, at any level of an organization. And, you know, that's really what I just love when people get it and they can, and they understand that it's not about the tools. It's not about, you know, um, the, this tool worked for this organization. So I need to apply it here. No, no, no you need to learn what works for you. And uh, I think that that's been the game changer, you know, for a lot of organizations is really understanding, really, truly understanding what it means to have a, to be a learning organization.
1: And happy new year. My name is Paul Critchley. I'm the president of New England Lean Consulting and the host of the New England Lean podcast, which you know because you're listening to this right now. So welcome back, everybody, to season two. I am psyched to be back. Uh, We had a great break. I took a few weeks off, Uh, finished up some projects with clients, and then kind of unplugged for a, a week and a half or so. Uh, to get the batteries recharged just you know hang out with the family and and reflect and do some planning for this year and and i'm I'm ready to rock and roll um, we're kicking off season two with a blast uh we're welcoming Patrick Adams to the show patrick is an internationally recognized leadership coach consultant professional speaker he's best known for his unique human approach to sound team building practices uh, creating consensus enabling empowerment Patrick has been delivering bottom line results through specialized process improvement solutions for over 20 years. He's worked with all kinds of businesses from private to nonprofit to government and manufacturing, uh, ranging from small businesses to billion-dollar corporations. Uh, and uh, last and certainly not least, he has a new book coming out entitled Avoiding the Continuous Appearance Trap. It is available for pre-sale right now. Um, it is coming out in print on January 13th, so literally next week, uh, and then the ebook is going to be coming out in February 10th. And in this book, uh, he compares and contrasts two uh, two companies. Um, one is actually doing continuous improvement, another one just kind of looks like it. And I don't want to spoil anything. I've had the privilege and the honor to be on his uh, launch team, so I've gotten to read a lot of this book already. Uh, it's it's fantastic. So. I'll link to it in the show notes, but absolutely, guys, when when as we kick 2020 to the curb with with no looking back, because I'm certainly not going to miss it at all. um, I I think this is a great way to start 2021 with a refreshing new outlook of of more and better things to come. So uh, I can't say enough. You know, I consider Patrick a friend. Uh, We talked a little bit about it in the podcast. He and I met uh, at the University of New Hampshire a couple of years ago. Uh, we were both speaking there. Uh, had a great chat with him. Um, he's he's a solid dude. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, I, I'm a big believer in you know in his messaging, and and we talk a lot about that in this in the podcast. You know he he hits on a couple of highlights from the book, and I don't want to spoil it for you, but we really talk about the culture piece uh, and what that means, and how, kind of how that's the nucleus to this whole thing, right? To lean because. You know, there's tools up the, up. you know, we have lots of them. There's value stream mapping and Kaizen and 5S and right all this fun stuff, Kanban. But the culture is the core, and that's really what we talk about. And Patrick is a big believer in this, and that's why I have the utmost respect for him. So I was so happy uh, when I reached out to him, and uh, he said yes. And I do want to shout out uh, a listener. I won't use his last name because he didn't give me permission to, and I didn't ask because I forgot. Uh, but Brett. Uh, I know you're a listener, so thank you. Uh, Brett had actually, I put the shout out, uh, I think on Twitter, uh, if anybody knows anybody that would be a good guest, um, you know, hit me up and Brett had emailed me. He said, you know, there's this guy, Patrick Adams. Uh, you know, I follow him on LinkedIn and, and, you know, I like what he says, so maybe have him on and, you know, we can get to know him a little bit better. And I was, I had one of those V8 moments. I'm like, of course, you know, it's like, here's a guy, I know this guy. <laughs> so I should have thought of that. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I, and again, I'm so excited to be kicking off season two with, with everybody. Thank you, thank you, thank you for making season one a, a success. Um, I'm having a, I am having ai had a blast doing it. Like I said, you can hear it in my voice. I'm, I'm excited to be back. I'm ready to go. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm elated to be kicking it off with Patrick Adams. So I'll zip it. Give this a listen. And uh, I hope you'll like it. And uh, again, welcome back. Welcome to 2021. Uh, I hope this year brings prosperity for everybody. It's got to be better than last year because that kind of was not the funnest of times. But anyways, looking forward, new and better things to come. Thanks again, everybody. I appreciate you, and we'll see you real soon. All right, everybody. Welcome to season two, episode one of the New England Lead podcast. We made it. So uh, I hope everybody had a great holiday. As I mentioned in the intro I am honored to have Patrick Adams as our guest today. Patrick, hello, sir.
0: Hey, how you doing, Paul? Glad doing to be right. here.
1: Yeah. And I forgot to mention you are a, well, I didn't say I forgot. I, I'm sorry I mentioned it, but former Marine. So thank you very much for yes. your service. I appreciate
0: that. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate Lean appreciate
1: yes. Absolutely. Like, I see you. I mean, we actually get to meet at UNH. We did. Last year? year uh, was a couple
0: years ago, I think now. we two years now. This this last year, you gotta take that off the that that's gotta be taken away here. But no, it's been a couple of years now. We were at University of uh uh New Hampshire there and and um uh, I think my fa- my favorite part of that conference was the uh the balloon tower activity. Do you remember that?
1: I do. I, <laughs> I stole it. And oh, I used, good. I use that now.
0: Yeah. It's very similar to the Marshmallow Challenge, uh, but I, I really enjoyed that. It was a yeah. good, good activity, good takeaway from there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And um, that was the first time I'd gotten to see Travis Mills speak live. Oh, I don't powerful. know if you had known who he was. I did, no,
0: I did not. But I, I bought his book for my son, uh, and I've actually uh, listened to some of his videos since then, too. I mean, uh, obviously, powerful speaker, um, powerful story. Um, definitely was very impactful for me. Yeah,
1: definitely. he's, I mean, I, I'm a Mainer, so, and he lives in Maine now. So I kind of okay. knew, I knew a little bit, but I'd never seen him in person. You know, I, I'd seen him, you know, obviously in the news and stuff. So yep. like you mentioned, seeing him speak uh, live. And, and you know, the funny thing is, and I've been working on trying to get him on the podcast. So if anybody from the Travis Mills Foundation is listening, you got to help me out because <laughs> you got to help me get him on here. But yeah, his, I mean- just to hear him speak it's like and the funny thing was i teased i teased him after because we were chit-chatting and i'm like dude like you walked up to the stage and you get a standing ovation right. i was teaching a workshop in that same room on that same stage directly after him and i'm
0: like <laughs> oh geez
1: how am i supposed <laughs> to follow this
0: yeah you can't there's I, no I was way was
1: like great so
0: yeah i don't I don't know what, what it, you know how that worked out for them to get him uh, as a speaker, but they did a great job with that. Uh, I loved listening to him and uh and just making the connections to continuous improvement in the work that we do so it was yeah. it
1: was very good. it was awesome so anyways, so again, Patrick, thank you so so much for agreeing to be on and I'm so excited that. Uh, I get to kick this off with you, right? Because I mean, yes. let's face facts. we we could be brothers. I mean, anybody anybody that's listening is like, what the hell is this guy talking about? But <laughs> anybody watchings like Are anyone, you guys anyone without hair
0: and glasses uh, pretty much looks the same, right?
1: yes, yeah, I get true. it all the time, yeah. it happens to be too. I used to get um uh, Anthony Edwards a lot, okay, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. in any event. so, you, sir, have been up to an awful lot of stuff. I see you online. Love the content that you post. Um, Appreciate that. Sure. No, I do too. And I, I, you know, I try to share it. I mean, cause it's all good stuff. And I think I mentioned yeah. to you before we, we jumped on, uh, you know, on social media, I will put out like, Hey, if you want to be on the podcast or, you know, of anybody that you think would be a good guest, let me know. And I had somebody reach out and say, you got to have Patrick Adams on, you got to you know, check his content out. And I'm like, that's, oh, that's a great, great idea. I should have thought of that myself, especially considering, you know, we yeah. get to hang out a little bit in New Hampshire. So right. I wanted to kind of start with, so, so like, I, as I mentioned, uh, you are a retired Marine. Yes. Yes. Yes.
0: I was medically retired in 2005.
1: Okay. And how long were you in for?
0: Uh, eight years. Wow. Just about eight years. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, my certain- wife uh, actually. See here, this is my wife. She was in the army. Uh, this is her shadow box. Normally, in the military, when you get out, uh, they give you a, a shadow box, or there's different things that, that you get. But then this one up here is mine. Uh, I was joking uh, uh, before we before we pushed record here today. My wife uh, said, well, "Why do you have your shadow box in in the office, but not mine?" She she felt a little, like I I love to have your shadow box in there. So because people always ask me, "Were you in the army?" No, that was my wife. So. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Nice. So how did, so talk to me a little bit. So part of this podcast is I like people to get to know, right. The real, the real person, right. The real guest. So how did you, why, how, you know, what brought you through the Marines and how did you go from being a Marine to being a lean consultant?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, So I actually, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. Um, I did about, uh, maybe half a year in college right after high school. Uh, and I would, I, I actually grew, I had a little bit of a struggle, struggling, troubled childhood and, and was struggling, uh, to figure out what I was going to do in life. And, uh, and I ended up in college for a short time. And then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do something, you know, different with my life. And I needed something different at that time. Um, and so I enlisted in the Marine Corps and it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, like I said, I spent just, just about eight years in the Marine Corps and, uh, enlisted as a, um, military police officer. And then, uh, in once I got to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, I indocked for uh, what's called the special reaction team, which is very similar to a civilian SWAT team. And, uh, shortly after that, I, uh, was col- Columbine had happened. And unfortunately, there were not uh, very many police departments or SWAT teams had been trained in how to respond to active shooters in schools at that time. Um, and so our team was um, given the, the mission to train civilian SWAT teams on the East Coast and uh, uh, how to respond to an active shooter uh, in a school or you know, you know whatever type of situation. Um, and so that's what I spent uh, you know, three years, three, four, just about four years at Camp Lejeune doing, and then, um, was accepted into an officer program to finish up my college and went up to Rhode Island for a short period. Uh, nice. Our neck of the
1: woods. Yeah. yeah.
0: Beautiful area. I was in Newport. So, you know, that's, that's like what everything's like up there, right? Like, like Newport.
1: Um, We'll go with that.
0: (laughs) Uh, But no, um, so really nice area. I was actually there during uh, 9-11. So that was an interesting time. And then, uh, you know, went over to the University of Michigan where I trained ROTC students and finished up my college and then uh, back out to the fleet. Um, But then while I was there, I actually was going through um, uh, training and uh, was injured and um, to the point where I could not rehabilitate um and ended up being medically retired so
1: okay wow yeah that's quite a it's quite a arc story yes so how? all right so you get medically retired how did you wind up as a lean consultant i mean that's like (laughs) that's right that was part of
0: the question too it's well that's
1: Uh, you know diametrically i'm a mechanical engineer so people are like stop i got it thank you next question you know it's like
0: Uh, so good question. Uh, I actually, um, so when I got out of the Marine Corps, uh, I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Um, my training was in law enforcement, uh, but my, the injury that I had did not allow me to get, uh, certified in Michigan, you know, law enforcement, you have to go through certain certifications and things. Um, and so I wasn't able to do that. And so I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I had a friend that landed me a job at a, um, Plastics plant in West Michigan here, working as a production supervisor, and that was my first uh, my first taste of manufacturing, and I just fell in love with that. the The idea of uh, I know this sounds weird, but maybe not to uh, the engineers out there, but just the idea of uh, taking you know raw materials and all of these process steps, you know, to the point where you have this finished product that you can then deliver to your customer, just was something that just really made sense to me. Right. And I, I'm a process thinker. And so, you know, just being able to look at that and determine, you know, how do we make this process better and how do we uh, get better at that? And and then obviously being a leader, I had worked under um, and, you know, had worked with many different leaders in the military. Um, and so being able to take a lot of the, the learnings from the, the leadership that I learned and, and Worked under in the military and being able to apply that in a man, in the manufacturing world um, was pretty powerful. And so that that was my first uh, first taste. And and you know I started to learn a little bit about continuous improvement. But then it wasn't until a, a little bit later when I worked with an automotive supplier, um, and that's where I was introduced to this idea of continuous improvement and lean methodology. And Uh, And then I was really excited. Then I was like, there's no going back for me. So I dove right in and uh, just started learning as much as I could, um, uh, you know, and I was, I was fortunate enough to be part of a a full uh, site transformation and work alongside some really great lean coaches and learn some really, really powerful um, being not, not just uh, learning, but also applying it. Right. So I was, I was part of that entire process. And, um, and then from there. Ended up at Parker Hannifin, and Parker Hannifin has an amazing, uh, this just this amazing culture of continuous improvement. Um, and I, so I hired in there as a as a plant lean manager, um, and uh, basically got. They have three different levels of lean. Uh, they call it lean boot camp, um, and then different problem solving training and things like that. And I just, again, just soaked it all up and just kept learning and learning and applying and learning and applying, um, and you know, just grew into the point where I moved into uh, different operations roles as a, a value stream manager, plant manager, and, and different companies. I, I moved out of Parker Hannifin to a few other companies. And um, and just over the years, just continued to grow, you know, my skill set, you know, just keep adding different tools to my tool belt. Um, and uh, and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. I've learned a lot over the years. And, and I got to a point after working in various uh, lean roles. I got to a point where lean and operations roles got to a point where I felt like, you know what, you know, I I could I could do this on my own. And I stepped away from the corporate world and I uh, went out on my own as a lean consultant. And um, the rest is history. Been been uh, you know working with different operations leaders and not just in manufacturing, but in lots of different companies, different size companies, different industries, and just applying. Um, continuous improvement methodology to really help transform leaders and organizations and just love it. You nice.
1: Know? So, well, congrats. I mean, you're out here, you're killing it here. I mean, you're,
0: you're, I appreciate that. You know, I think that for me, I'm a, uh, I'm a pretty simple guy, you know, and, um, and lean is, it's simple and the unfortunate thing is, you know, there's a lot of consultants. There's a lot of leaders out there that uh, unfortunately have, have felt like they need to add all of this complexity to something that maybe doesn't need it, you know, and, and I think that one of the things that I appreciate about what Toyota did is in, and is that it's, it is a simple concept. And if you understand the concepts around continuous improvement and becoming a learning organization, then anyone can do it in any industry, you know, at any level of an organization. And, you know, that's really what I just love when people get it and they can, and they understand that it's not about the tools. It's not about, You know, um, this tool worked for this organization, so I need to apply it here. No, no, no. You need to learn what works for you. And uh, I think that that's been the game changer, you know, for a lot of organizations is really understanding, really, truly understanding what it means to have a, to be a learning organization.
1: Now, so thank you, because that's um, one of the questions I was going to ask you a little bit later, but we're there. So is that, (laughs) would you say that that's your favorite part of lean is when the, kind of when the light bulb goes off for folks?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, there's so many parts of it that I love, uh, but definitely coaching is a big piece. You know, I love to train. Uh, I love when people are able to take concepts and apply them. Uh, but being able to actually work alongside someone uh, one-on-one and, you know, again, watch them uh, get it, you know, when that, again, that, like you said, that light bulb goes off, it's just, uh, it's just such a, such a great time to, to watch them develop and watch leaders that, that do really understand it, you know, and then the the tough side of it is, you know, you're, you're always going to deal with, um, the struggles of, you know, organizations with different leadership styles and, um, you know, people that are working underneath you as a leader, and how to how to manage three hundred and sixty degrees and still you know be a lean thinker. And there's the challenges and in, in get, getting through that is uh, another piece that I really enjoy as well. Yeah, there's so many so many challenges.
1: Well, and that's just it. So so we had a, a listener email us uh, last year, and they made a point, and I forget what episode uh, they had referred that I made a comment about. You know, try, just that. You know, a lot of this is is. I won't say it's easy but it's simple and mm-hmm. and they said you know it's just you know you get on social media and you see pictures of you know perfection and it's it's intimidating and sure. I think that it does actually hurt sometimes, you know, uh, because people will see those things and they'll think, geez, there, I will never get there. So I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to start. I'm not even going to try. And I think that's, you know, why I'm drawn to the work that you do. Mm. Um, and we chatted a little bit at UNH it's, it's, it doesn't have to be that way. Just pick one thing, one thing that you can change that makes your life a little tiny bit easier and do it. And that's right. And Right. Then you tomorrow do it again. And then the next day do it. Right. And then pretty soon, three, six, nine months down the road, you look back, you're like, geez, I don't even recognize where we were.
0: Right. That's exactly right. No, I, I agree with you hundred um, percent. And that's, and that's the reality of what we do, you know, is that uh, it, it is something that once people understand it, it's it, like you said, it's not that it's easy because it takes a lot of hard work uh, and, and a lot of, and, and a huge commitment from leadership, uh, but it's the simple things that matter.
1: So do you have any, and I'm going to put you on the spot, just a little teeny tiny bit, but is there a, sure. a story or an instance that you can share? You don't have to name names or company names or anything, but um, yeah. is there a, an instance, something like that, that you could share that like the listeners could say, ah, yeah, I have that. And that happens to me. And then kind of maybe what you did about it, how you you know let them through it, coach them through it.
0: Uh, absolutely, yeah. Uh, so you know, one of the stories that I like that I like to talk about, uh, and it, it's actually in in my book as well, uh, but is is the the time when I was working with a, a an individual, a, um, a leader, person in a leadership position, and they uh, were struggling with firefighting. And you know, for those that are listening that maybe don't know what that term means, uh, it's really when you know you've put a lot of temporary solutions in place. And, you know, maybe a lot of what we call band-aids, right? You're band-aiding things just to get by. And some of those band-aids are starting to pop off. And, uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of organizations find themselves in this, in this place where, you know, their leaders, that's all they do all day long is just trying to put out all of these fires. So they're always responding and there's not a whole lot of uh, proactive type of uh, actions taking place, mostly just reactive. And that's a really tough place to be in. It's very stressful. It's very difficult for leaders. Um, and this one leader was very much in this firefighter mode and had, you know, come into a a firefighting culture, really. Um, that's just the way that they, that they work there. Uh, and the, this individual, uh, when, as we were walking, um, had this operator came running up to us and, uh, the operator said the lines down again, the lines down again. I, I don't know what to do. You got to help me out. And uh, obviously with permission from the, this leader uh, I s- s- felt like I needed to step in, you know, and, and okay, let, let, let's ask, let's do this. Some Let's do something a little bit different this time. And uh, I asked the, the individual, what, what do you think that we should do? Hmm. Um, and I think this was the turning point for this leader because Uh, normally what their normal reaction was, was to just go and fix it, you know, go run and fix the the fire, put the fire out. Um, And for me to stop and say, what do you think we should do, you know, was completely different than what, you know, had ever been done here. And so the operator looked at me kind of funny, crazy, like, you know, and looked at the leader and kind of almost like they needed permission to answer, you know, and again, this was part of the culture. Uh, But, Uh, They, they, so he said to me, well, I guess that, you know, the last time that this happened and, you know, the way that I think I would probably approach it is, you know, is I would probably try to clean off the rails and, you know, see if that works. And I said, I said, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you go try that? And then, you know, we'll stop by and check in on you and see how it goes. Right. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay. So he took off. And the, this leader turned to me and he said, that's not gonna work. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, well, I'm pretty sure that one of the rails is actually bent. And uh, you know, that, that's, gonna be, that's gonna be the problem. It's not that it needs to be cleaned. And I said, that's okay because what's gonna happen is this operator is going to try to clean the rails. It's not gonna work. They're gonna learn that it's not that the rails are dirty. They're gonna experiment with something else and eventually this operator will find out that the, the rails are bent, right? Um, and the, while it may take longer this time for that to happen, eventually over time, this operator is going to learn that they have the freedom to experiment, that they're empowered to try some things. Um, and what does that do for you as a leader? It allows you to spend your time working on other things or maybe coaching that individual, you know, by asking them questions and things versus giving them all the answers. When you give them all of the answers, you're really empowering them to bring more fires to you, right? If they, if everyone knows that you're the person that can put the fires out, then everyone's going to come to you with their fires. But if you start pushing back on your team and, you know, putting some of that uh, responsibility into their hands, you know, that's where things will start to change. And now you can start working on uh, some of the bigger problems that need, you know, maybe some more active and structured problem solving um, versus some of the little fires that can be maybe taken care of by, you know, the the, the people that are closest to the work that probably know that the answer, they just don't know, they just maybe don't feel like they're
1: empowered to fix it. You right. Know? And so that was kind of one of the, thank you, because that was what, or um, I was hoping you were going to go. So how in that scenario, if you hadn't been there, would the culture have supported it? Would the culture have supported that employee? trying their initial thought without going to the supervisor? And if it didn't work, I, AKA failed, which I hate the F word, but Mm -hmm. right. (laughs) Would, would the, would that person have gotten yelled at, you yellow written up? Like what would have happened?
0: More than likely. I mean, the way that it was, working at that time was that that this particular leader and the other leaders were putting out all the fires. So, you know, as soon as they would come into work, you know, they'd have a list of, you know, from second shift, third shift of all the fires that had been put out and the ones that were still burning that they needed to go after right away. Uh, And, you know, they can't even make one walk around the plant without being approached with two or three more fires. You know, and, and the way that that culture worked was those leaders were the ones that would go put the fires out. So, you know, the, the tough thing for a lot of organizations is how do we transition, you know, out of that? And it, it, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's a long process, uh, but it's it starts by the shared accountability. It, it, you know, you have a, an entire uh, group of, of employees that are experts at what they do. You know, they're working you know, in the business day in and day out, they're closest to the value add work. Uh, They know about all the problems and they probably know solutions and and maybe solutions that are better than, you know, any leader can provide. Um, And it's not until you start empowering them uh, that 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 culture will start to change. And again, in the beginning, it'll take a lot longer because, you know, people have to learn a lot of things. Right. But then eventually you, you almost hit this tipping point. Um, and the team's able to start solving problems much quicker. And again, without having to, um, rely on the, the firefighters to, to, get it done. And that's really what you want because you want your leaders to be, uh, working on problem solving, uh, you know, maybe at, at a higher level or more project-based, um, type of work. You all, you want them to be coaching, right? You, I mean, there are certain things that they wanted that they should be doing. And if they're tied up putting out fires all day long, um, then they're not doing what they should be doing as leaders.
1: Right. And then you get into the whole conversation of, you know, what's next. And, and I've had those jobs where that was essentially by, right. I was a leader, but I was the fireman too. And, and yeah. as you describe it, I was having little mini flashbacks of, you know, I would leave And one of the stories I tell is, you know, there were lots of times when I would leave at five, six o'clock at night, feeling as if I was farther behind than I was mm-hmm. at you know, 7am that morning, because for just that, it's like, I have five more things to do now than I did, you know, 10 hours ago. That's right. So how does that work? So when you're working with, whether it's just you or clients or any, you know, anything that you've uh, been involved with or seen, how important is it? Because, you know, you and I chatted it when we were at UNH about failure, right? And I pitched my idea and I've gone on my own podcast and talked about, you know, lean transformation, failure rates and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so you and I had a very in-depth discussion about that, you know, Mm -hmm. in the free 15 minutes that we each had. Um, but how important is it within an organization to be able to accept failure?
0: Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a really, really great question. And it's, it's, uh, it's very important, um, to, to say the least. And, and, you know this is uh this is actually one of the questions that i lay out in my book uh, avoiding the continuous appearance trap uh, and the question is how safe is it for your employees to fail uh, and it's such an important question because it really helps to uh again it, the, the result of allowing your team members the opportunity to fail uh, is the type of culture that we want a learning culture right Um, And my leading quote for this particular chapter is from Katie Anderson, uh, which both of us know, and she's the author of uh, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. But she said in her book, leaders' words and actions set the culture for their organization. Seemingly small choices when it comes to language and behavior can have a big impact in shaping the people-centered culture that you want in your organization, uh, and so I think this is pretty powerful because it ties right into what, what, you know, the question that you're asking me about how important is it to allow your team to fail? Um, and one of the other things that I lay out in this, in this particular chat in the beginning of this chapter is, uh, I reference captain Michael, uh, Abershoff, which he's a former commander of, uh, and he's the author of the book. It's your ship management techniques from the best damn ship in the Navy. Have you read that? I know I haven't, but I know Oh, you got to get it. You got it. It's a good book. Um, so he in, in the book, he lays out this story of organizational transformation and innovative leadership uh, and where he took command of, at the time, the worst performing ship uh, in the Navy, in the Pacific Fleet, not in the Navy, uh, but in the Pacific Fleet. And he made it number one in 12 months with the same exact crew. Hmm. which is crazy, right? So if you think, how does that relate to me? I mean, if you think about, again, I don't know as a listener where all of your listeners are, what industry they're working in, but think about a company that is uh, the worst performing team, you know, within their industry or within their area, their company, and then being able within 12 months to turn that entire uh, group around to number one with using the exact same employees, mm-hmm. right? Right. So that's important because because that, that, that's key, right? The employees. Um, but he attributes most of the turnaround um, to empowering and trusting his team members to make decisions. And part of that was allowing them to fail, which you think about, you know, this guy's in the military. How can you allow, you know, these sailors to fail at their job, right? But, um, you know, one of, one of these days, I want to personally uh, ask him how it felt to, to turn over that decision-making authority and, and really allow for that shared accountability, you know, because of course he knew that they would fail. I mean, he, he had to know that he, that they would fail. In fact, in the book, he, he says that even if the decisions were wrong, then he would stand by them and hopefully they would learn from their mistakes. And the more responsibility that they were given, the more that they learned. Uh, And that's such a powerful statement because it really lays out exactly how um, organizations should be uh, acting when it comes to, you know, shared accountability and decision-making and and allowing their team members to learn from their mistakes. Um, And that doesn't mean that as a leader, we step away and we're not part of the process of them learning you know, that's really where a good coach steps in is to help them navigate or help them work through that learning process. Um, and that's exactly what, uh, what he did on the ship is, and it's not like he completely withdrew. I mean, he was, you know, out there walking the, the ship with his employee with his, I say employees, but with his sailors uh, and, um, you know, asking them questions and coaching them and helping them through the process. Um, and how difficult must that have been for him, right? For them to make the wrong decision when him with, you know, 20 plus years experience, whatever it might be, he probably knew the answer a lot of times, but at the same time, he had to step back and just let them experience, you know, maybe making the wrong decision, obviously keeping them safe and, you know, not, not allowing anything unsafe to happen. But, um, and that's, there's another big piece of his book that talks about safety too, and how important that was. Um, But, you know, leaders today, they have to ask themselves, how safe is it for your employees to fail at your organization? Right? Um, companies can't develop breakthrough processes if they're not willing to encourage risk taking and learn from those subsequent mistakes. Um, in traditional work environments, managers are expected to make, you know, most of the decisions themselves and mm-hmm. and take on all responsibility. And for me, working in various operations roles, that's exactly what was expected of me um, at company continuous appearance, which again I talk about in the book, but. Um, was for me to assume all responsibility versus share that, you know, um, among the rest of the team. Um, but how many problems can one manager attend to by themselves, right?
1: Yeah, not, not enough. No, exactly. Um, but, you know, again,
0: if for me, I, I mean, I watched as many managers would try to take on that, that decision themselves or all the decisions themselves. And then you have you know, a super slow decision-making process where everybody's waiting for these decisions to happen. And then eventually it's like, we got all these team members are waiting and here comes an answer. Well, it's like, that's not even relevant anymore. That was relevant, you know, two weeks ago. And so again, it's, it's important that we create that environment where employees are part of the decision-making process, where we share accountability, um, and where they feel safe to experiment and try new things and get better. And, even if they don't succeed, ra- rather than yelling at them or, you know, uh, telling them that they that they did the bad, the wrong thing, celebrating the fact that they learned something um, and allowing them to continue experimenting in other ways, you know, I mean that's the key.
1: Right. Yeah. And and that's abs- you know one of the uh, correlations I use a lot in our trading is uh, a quote from Henry Ford and a quote from Taiichi Ono, Right. So you ah, okay. figure ford and toyota they do the same thing right so let's say you know you and i have the same job and we you know we put door panels in or something right so the quote from henry ford is how come every time i hire a pair of hands it comes with a brain attached or something like that yeah. and then the one from taiichi ono and i'll uh, paraphrase it was you know people don't come to toyota just to work they come here to think So it's like, you think about even walking into the plant, you and I, we have the same exact job, but how are we going to feel about that? like, right. It's like, okay, Patrick, you know, you're hanging door panels, but if you have an idea, we really want to hear about, does it make it easier or whatever? And with me, it's like critchley, if you don't hit, you know, a thousand door panels hung this hour, it's your butt, you know? So it's like, wait a sec. Like we do the same exact thing. And to your point of, you know, being a, a, the freedom that comes along with experimenting on top of, you know, I'm a firm believer, you know, and I've, my history is, you know, automotive. That's where I get my start with lean. Sure. I worked in aerospace. I made military jet engines. Um, you know, so I've worked on some, some pretty cool stuff. Um, and I've been, incur- I've, I've, uh, been involved in cultures on both ends of the spectrum. Sure. And I remember just how much it, how, what the difference felt like, because I knew, and it was, it was interesting. Cause you know, now being on this side, like, cause I'm a, you know, we're both lean consultants. So we're, you know, the shiny eyes, third parties, you know, we walk in and we can see things that other people will miss because it's just like that all the time. Sure. Um, it's so interesting to me to watch how these cultures evolve, because to your point, you know, obviously it's a risk-based thing, you know, uh, we have clients that work on nuclear stuff. So it's like, eh, you might not want to experiment too, too much, but at least have a culture that allows people to ask those questions, you know, pull the end on cord when something doesn't seem right, you know, and it can't just be, you know, metrics, metrics, all the time, metrics, right? I mean, everybody wants cost, quality, on-time delivery, safe, right? It's always in manufacturing, you know, we do some hospital stuff, right? So it's throughput and, you know, but I get that part and, and yeah, but if you handle this stuff first, if you engage and encourage your people, so they don't feel like a pair of hands when they walk in, right? They actually like, Oh, you value my opinion. What a concept, you know,
0: that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's always a surprise to me when, you know, as a consultant, when I when I come into an organization and, you know, they ask me to maybe facilitate an improvement event or, uh, or work with a team. And the first thing that I usually tell the team and even leadership, which is sometimes surprising when I ask, you know, okay, let's make sure that we have good representation of all of the experts in the room. And they're like, what do you mean? You know, like... They're the experts. And I, you know, again, if I say that to the group, sometimes I'm met with like, what do you mean? We're the experts. Like you're the leader here. You're the consultant.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
0: it's not my job to tell you how to do your job better. You guys already know that. You know, the things that add value to your end customer, to you, to the product or the service that you're providing. You guys know it already. I, I don't know it like, you know, and I don't know how to run this machine. I don't know how the flow works through this particular process. You know it. You're the experts, right? I'm going to facilitate the process of improvement, you know, using some different um, tools and techniques, and and you know, some some different f- facilitation techniques and things. But that's it, right? You guys are the experts, and and really, you know, they're the ones that are going to be providing the the, the value, you know. So that's always uh, that's always fun for me you know, to, to work with a team and really draw out a lot of that value that they're, that they're there to provide. And, and, you know, the unfortunate thing is many times it's, it's with teams that have never felt that before. They've never been asked. They've never, you know, they, anytime they've tried to speak up, you know, they, they get met with uh, leadership that says, you know, we have people that fix those problems, go do your job, you mm-hmm. know, stop, stop complaining. Well, it's not a complaint, right? Start listening. And, uh, and I think things will change for you. And uh, again, right. sometimes that's hard for uh, organizations to hear, but that's, that's what I love. That's what I love about what I do.
1: And I'm right there with you because it's to your point. I always say the same thing. The people that do the work know best. Now that's it's right. up to us, you know, you, me, the leadership of these companies, just, we have to ask the right questions that's to right. pull, right? To pull, because like you said, a lot of times they've never been asked before. And it's like, whoa, 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 you know, and I I get pushback sometimes even people are like, well, that's above my pay grade. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, it's no, let's talk like and, you know, and those are the ones I enjoy the most because it's always the, you know, the sometimes the dissenters. But it's you can I don't know, as I do this more and more, you can almost kind of tell the people that, you know, are flat out this. I hate this. It's never going to work. Don't talk to me. And, you know, that's the end of it versus the people are like. Uh, eh, you know, I'm pretty sure this isn't gonna work, but then you can always kind of, you know, uh, I'm thinking of this one guy, you know, he was one of those folks. And but I always noticed, like, I, I'm over here doing something, and I kind of look and he's watching. And I'm like, hmm. sure, you know, and like the days go by, weeks, and this is a long term client, so you know, d- weeks go by until fine, you know, and I chat with him a little bit, a little bit, and then finally the day came, Patrick, where he's like, Hey. I want to show you something so i come over and he shows me he's like i was thinking i you know if i did this and i did that you think that would be okay i'm like yeah i think that's actually a really great idea next day i came in he was it was done and it was like from then on mm-hmm. he was like my best friend you know Powerful. and he was like he was one of our biggest uh uh cheerleaders there oh yeah you know and he that's was right. like, you know he's like and he would be the guy to say you know when, when anybody else started to complain a little they're like he'd like no 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 guys I hated this too. And I'm telling you, Mm. it works. Just give it a chance. You got to try it, you know? And that's, to me, it's like, all right, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, here we go. And I'll tell you, you know, a lot of the stuff that he came up with or even, you know, not just him, but it was small, you know, but in comparison, and I always say that lean small ball it's singles and doubles. And I say every once in a while you hit a home run, (laughs) you know, which is great, but you can't, right. right. You can't count on that. So, when you talk about, you know, continuous improvement, you're dealing with clients, do you kind of feel that same way? Do you disagree or how, you know, what's your take?
0: No, absolutely. I do. Uh, small, simple improvements are key. And you know, that is definitely where you're, like you said, that the singles and the the doubles, I mean, that's really where the, uh, where you need to be focused as a lean leader in, in an organization, you know, so many consultants and leaders, uh, Six Sigma belts—they make it seem like Lean is, you know, needs to have this deep level of complexity that no one can understand. And, and as we discussed earlier, it's just not true. You know, you you have to th- think about it like um, a river that runs through rock. Uh, and I've talked about this before, uh, but I I visited the Grand Canyon um, this last year with my family for the first time. I had never been out there before, and you know, just if you, if you know, you know, the Grand Canyon has the Colorado river running through it. And, you know, obviously there's a ton of different um, theories and ideas about how the Grand Canyon was uh, created or, you know, became where it is, but you can't deny the fact that over time, the Colorado river has, you know, very slowly as water runs through rock created, what is now the Grand Canyon. And the key word that comes to mind when you think about that is it's persistence, right? It's, it's just little things time and time again um, that makes it happen. And it's not, it's not the, the big massive projects, right? Uh, which those are important, you know, but that's not where the massive change comes from. It really comes from the persistence of small, simple improvements over time. Uh, and developing your learning organization with these small improvements by engaging the minds of your teams, like we talked about, um, that's what's going to get you the, that huge improvement that you're looking for, you know, over time. Uh, there's a, there's a, a recipe that I lay out in the book, uh, that three steps, very simple, uh, but uh, they, they go something like this. Uh, ask for simple ideas daily, uh, number two, implement those ideas with help from your team daily and then celebrate success daily. Very simple, right? Three very simple steps. Um, and, you know, again, what like we talked about earlier, small and simple doesn't necessarily mean easy, right? I mean, Paul Akers from FastCap is a, a great example of this. You know, he's done a great job at helping to communicate what true lean is, right? It's the small, simple improvements that add up over time to create these huge impacts. But this isn't a simple thing. I mean, Paul, if you know anything about Paul, you know, Paul comes in every day to FastCap and he's out on the production floor first thing in in the morning he's walking to the floor he's talking to his team he's asking them you know how did their experiments go and and you know what are some what's their one improvement that they made today and you know what's their two second lean and he's he's taking videos and he's doing pictures and um and he's supporting them you know whether they are able to succeed at their experiments or you know in quotation marks fail right or, you know what did they learn and This is something that he's doing every single day, you know, consistently and, you know, celebrating and coaching and to create that level of consistency and excitement takes a lot of hard work, but it pays off with the little things, the two second improvements. Mm. And that's really the key.
1: Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, it's always great to swing for the fences, but Mm-hmm. you know, you strike out a lot doing that too. And then I think we probably both seen instances where, you know, people will do that and then it doesn't work. And they're like, ah, lead doesn't work. It's, you know, blah, blah. Right. And then it's, it's twice as hard to get started again, you know, and That's you kind of exactly lose right. some momentum or whatever, but
0: yeah, there was, there was an organization that I, I worked with uh, where we, we set a goal for, I think it was uh, 20, 20, um implemented improvement ideas uh a day i think it was or no a month i'm sorry a month for this organization it's a it was a smaller organization a lot of complexity uh so just 20 20 a month you know can we come up with 20 a month and uh we actually made it visual uh we had just Um, post-it notes on the wall, the big white post-its on the walls, uh, one representing every month. And then every month they take their ideas that were implemented and they would put them up on this board. And these were just small little things. Hmm. Um, And over time, those ideas just started to really transform the way that they were thinking about their business. And, um, you know, one of the key things is that um, you have to, you do have to make sure that you're not just, just, spending a ton of time, you know, working on things that maybe aren't moving you closer to what, you know, we would call like your true north, right? I mean, you definitely don't want to just spitball and hope that you're working on the right stuff. You need to definitely have direction and make sure that your team knows the direction that it's communicated. And, you know, your long-term vision is very clear. Um, uh, And then, you know, those small fixes, those small improvements, those every... Problem and challenge that you're working on should be moving you closer, right? And for that particular team that I was working with, um, we we were making sure that every one of those improvements was m- helping them to move one step closer, little by little, right? With persistence over time, towards you know what they had established as their long-term vision, um, and you know the the results of that are just extraordinary.
1: Yeah, know? and it's you know it's like anything else, like. Um... Just at the end of last season, I uh, my la- our last podcast was just me talking about reflection on your previous year and setting goals. And I talked a little bit about New Year's resolutions and my my you know, the short is I'm like, don't do them. Because <laughs> you know, I-, I read a study, it was like 80% are, are toast by about Valentine's Day. Yeah. And I think the reason is because people just they go too big, you know, they're like, I'm gonna lose 15, 20 pounds, I'm gonna quit smoking. And it's like, hey, well, okay by the, but pick a date in the future. Maybe that's your one year plan. You say, all right, maybe instead of, I don't know, I'm not a smoker, but Hey, instead of six cigarettes uh, by the end of January, I'll be down to five a day. And then, yeah, maybe, you, you know, go. and like, or whatever, I mean, I've never had to quit smoking. I don't know how difficult it is. I hear it's hard, but as an example, you know, I, I feel like, you know, st- like you mentioned with this, make small improvements and they add up over time. That's, that's right. really the key. It's just like working out at the, right at the gym. It's like. Or I can't, you know, I talked before I want to run the Boston Marathon at some point in my life. I can't do yeah. that right now. I, I would sure. make it five miles probably right. and I'd be tapped out. But if I start to train and you get ready and right over time. Little maybe, by little, you yeah. Little you by start by little, out with a, a
0: mile, walk a mile, then then maybe, you know, work your way up to jogging a mile and, you know, it, yeah. it's little things that add up to, to huge benefits.
1: Right, right. So Patrick, I do like to take a little bit of a break of the air quotes formal cause this is a very formal podcast, but, uh, and I like to do a little thing I like to call the wicked fun part. All right. right? If you're up for it, I have a, just a handful of kind of rapid fire questions for you. Is All right. Cool? Throw them at me. All right. Uh, tell me something about your last job other than money that would have inspired you to keep working there. Okay.
0: Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, so I would say, uh, flexibility, um, at the, at the time, the majority, uh, the, and this would actually, this probably resonates well with a lot of people right now at the time, uh, working from home was not a, uh, really an accepted, uh, way of doing things. And, um, I actually was working with, uh, with someone outside of the country regularly. And, uh, so I would, drive uh, 40 minutes into work to sit in an office chair jump on a uh, you know a, a skype or a zoom uh, with uh, this person outside of country and then uh, work with them throughout the day and then at the end of the day I drive 40 minutes home and so I'm like you know hey can I t- just take these at home and uh, you know and the answer was no I need to have a certain amount of time in my chair mm. uh, it you know and it's like eh, so, do, I? <laughs> do I? Do I really? I don't think that would have changed the outcome of the work that we were doing together. But uh, so I think that would probably. If I had to say, other than money, you know, that would have kept me inspired. A little bit more flexibility in uh, in how we do our job. You know, really, if you know your your employees well enough, and you know, this doesn't work for everybody, and I understand that. But mm. if um, you know, if if I'm completing what you're asking me to do why does it matter where I'm completing it from or how long it takes me or, you know, if I got it done, then
1: I got it done. So. Right. Right. Whichever does it make? (laughs) Why do I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, What's the best advice you've ever gotten?
0: Ooh, the best advice. Um, The best advice is go and see. Hmm. I think that's always the best advice for anyone don't try to, don't try to answer a question or think you know the answer or make an assumption, go and see, you know, know, know the facts, know what's really happening. Uh, so that would be the best advice.
1: Nice. I like it. I, I, I always try to, I always encourage everybody to do the same thing, whether they're a client or not, even our kids, you know, it's like, are you sure that's how it is? You know, maybe you should ask or write, same thing, go and see and investigate because I I've made the mistake where I think I'm convinced I am right. And you go out and you look, you're like, ah, oh, man. Oh yeah. Off. Yeah.
0: So. I, uh, I just had that uh, actually not that long ago uh, where there, there was a, a team that swore up and down that something was happening a certain way. And when we went out and watched it, they were like, I would have never thought that never would have thought it based on what we knew from the data. And it's like, you have to spend the time. You have to go out and validate Things change. People change.
1: We there's a. I'll share a quick story. When I was in the automotive uh, industry, I was at a tier one, and we made bearings for automatic transmissions mostly. And we had one that we had a hair. So we had uh, what we call unitized assemblies. So it was a, a bearing with races that would snap on, right? So it was all okay. units. You could drop it in the transmission; and it was fine. And we had one that had a hairline crack, and for the life of us, we could not figure this thing out. Until finally, you know, somebody's like, and I forget who it was. They're like, why don't we just go out and look? And, you know, for like, this is 25 years ago. So it's a little fuzzy. So I'll say it was for weeks. We were trying to solve this problem. Hmm. And I happened to be in the plant at the time. So me and another uh, manufacturing engineer go out and it's Patrick, it's this, like, it's right here. All you had to do was look and you could see it. Yeah. And it's like, that was the issue the whole time. And I'll tell you real, so basically what it was, it was a, it was a pick and place with little fingers. Well, some manufacturing engineer at some point, it was a giant turntable with with uh, tooling that you know went inside these little uh, like uh, counter bores, okay. because we would change that machine over to do a bunch of different part numbers. Well, they said, I have a great idea. I'm going to make this so you don't have to put it in just one way. It can go in this way or it can go in this way. And for those listening, it's 12 and six or three and nine. But I'm going to make basically a four-leaf clover. So these two fingers can go in either way and everything will be fine. So it'll, it'll save us on setup time. Aha, that's a great lean idea. The problem was, though, in the next station... When this thing got snapped together, it was done with uh, these pneumatic pistons
0: Mm. and
1: it just so happened to line up with one of the voids on the bottom. So it would flex the race just enough to, to crack it. And it was a Mm. hairline. You would never, unless you knew it was there, you would never see it. Mm. And it was just like, and within no kidding, two minutes of us watching this machine, we figured it out. And I'm like, I just remember looking at the other guy, Tim, and I'm like, you know, if we'd done this a few weeks ago, we'd be done by now. That's right. He's like, just, yeah, he's like, just, yeah, that's right. But (laughs) shut up because we're not going to tell anybody that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, How do you find or stay motivated? Hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's another good question. Uh, I would say, you know, I, there's a, there's different people, different companies that I, that I benchmark, um, You know, I do, I do some, some, um, you know, vision, vision thinking in the mornings. Uh, I also would say that, um, you know, my family, my team, making sure that, you know, everybody's taken care of and that things, things are going well. I mean, those are all things that I think kind of motivate me and keep me going for sure.
1: Yeah. It's important to have purpose, I guess. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um we we uh we have a purpose, you know, at at our company to empower and equip people for positive change. And you know, that's not just the clients that we work with, but it's ourselves too, and continuing to improve and, and you know, develop ourselves as as leaders, as um, you know, good contributors to society. And um, you know, and I think that those are all the, the things that kind of just keep keep pushing me along.
1: That's what we're here for. I think. That's right. Right. We, I say the same thing, you know, let's try to leave it better than when we found it. Yep. Each and every day. That's right. Last question. Is there anything you would change about the journey you've, that is taking you to where you are sitting here talking to me right now?
0: Hmm. Uh, you know, I, um, I would say that the answer to that question is probably no. Uh, you know, I've actually, I mentioned this earlier, but I grew up with a bit of a tough life growing up and I've had people ask me that about my childhood too. Would you change anything all the way back there? And it's like, I can't, I, if I changed anything, I wouldn't have what I have today. I wouldn't have learned the things that I've learned today. You know, I think that a lot of the challenges, the roadblocks, the struggles that we go through in life, um, you know, help us help us into who we are and, and what we do and what we're, you know, what we've been called to do. And, um, and that's, I think that's who I'm becoming. That's who I am. And, and I, I don't, I wouldn't change that, you know? Yeah. So
1: hundred percent. I'm right there with you. I mean, I didn't grow up great either. Uh, I talked a little bit on our episode in season one with, uh, Mark C. Crowley, cause he had a kind of a rough, a rough go of it for a little while. Mm. Um, and I think it comes down to, at least for me, it comes down to what are we going to What are we going to do about it? You know, I come from a place in rural Maine that, you know, uh, you know my experience was not unique, and I've I kids I've grown up with, you know, have you know they've struggled, you know, and it's it's taken them in different uh, different paths, different ways. So I think if I asked them that question, maybe they would say yeah. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know where it comes from. And it's not to say that you know you and I or me like we did it right and they did it wrong. It's just, you know, to your point too, I look back and I'm like, you know, sometimes I'm jealous, you know, I'm like, man, if only this had happened or this didn't happen, you know, how would I be different? But I think that does push me too. You know, I have that constant, you know, I'm not good enough kind of a thing. And, And it's, it's been a detriment. My wife will tell you, um, at some times, but at the same time, it's like, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had the guts to go out on my own. Right. And try this and maybe, you know, I don't know. Who knows? So, yeah. And plus it's, I think it's fruitless anyway, because you can't go back and change it. That's been another thing I've been working on. (laughs) Right. Which is, that's right. Let it go. You know, it's like, it's over, it's done with, and yeah, it sucks. And I wouldn't have, you know, picked that, you know, picked it out that way. If I went to the store and said, I'll take this childhood and right. But yeah, it is what it is.
0: It's the same thing. You know, even I think about like Marine Corps boot camp. you know, I, I, it's not something I'd want to do again, but I'm definitely glad I did it. You know, I learned a lot there. You know, I think about, I went through, actually uh, the last, last time that I was in Maine, I was in, I went through uh SEER school in the military, which is survival evasion resistance and escape. Uh, and you actually get put into a, a literal POW camp. Uh, and again, not something that I would ever want to do again, but you know what, there were a lot of things that I learned um, that, I apply every day in, in life. And, you know, I just think about, uh, just here's a quick story from, from Sears school. There was a, uh, a young captain that was put in charge of our group, um, in the POW camp. And, um, the, uh, there was a time where we were standing in line and we were all very hungry because we hadn't eaten much, if not anything in a couple days. And we were in line cause they had this, these, uh, this soup that they were, giving to us. And, uh, one of the, the, uh, guards actually, well, a couple of the, they, they made the officers go in line first before the enlisted. And at th- this time I was enlisted. And so I was towards the back of the line and, uh, the highest ranking officer was the captain and he got his soup first. And then a couple other lieutenants after him. Uh, and then one of the guards actually knocked over intentionally knocked over, the, uh, the soup and it mm. spilled all over the ground. And there were probably, I don't know, you know, maybe 15 or 20 officers that had received their soup. Uh, and this captain had to make a decision, you know, about, uh, what, what they would do in this situation. And they, he was the first one to start divvying up his soup to a few of the enlisted members to make sure that they got some, some soup that day. And, uh, I just remember like the, the, you know, the, just that servant leadership that he showed that day was something that stuck with me. And, you know, as a lean leader, as an operations leader, you have to be a servant. You have to be willing to uh, put others ahead of yourself. If you want, you know, that if you want to continue to grow and improve and become better, you, you, you have to be willing to do that. And, you know, that was one thing that stuck with me uh, from that point forward. So, uh, yeah. So I, again, just things like that, I think, you know, I never want to do that again, but there's a lot of really good little tidbits that come out of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. So Patrick, we're going to, I don't want to take up your whole. I mean, we can, I could do this all day with you. Honestly, I love <laughs> Yeah, some good so conversation. Um, so we're going to wrap up, but I know, so you had mentioned it a little bit already, and I know I did in the intro, but your book is coming out like ever so soon right?
0: Yes. Yes. Very, very quickly here. January thirteenth, the pub, the book is published. Uh, it's, it's been available for pre-sale uh, only in the U.S. for the introductory presale sale price, uh, and which is about twenty percent lower than what it will be. Um, and it, the, the great thing is that when it publishes on January thirteenth, and th- and again, this was not something that I chose. This is something within Amazon or whatever. I don't know, but uh, you. So we're going to keep the pre-sale introductory price open, uh, for a week after the book published, uh, January 13th till January 20th, I believe. Um, and so that, that price will still be available to anyone, you know, within the U.S. or outside of the U.S. Um, and then the ebook is also going to be, uh, available on February 10th. Um, okay. but the title of the book is avoiding the continuous appearance trap. And it's really the, the, uh, throughout the book, I give 12 questions for, uh, leaders to, uh, really uncover what's truly underneath their culture. And, uh, throughout the book, I walk the, the readers through the, uh, a case study of two companies that I worked for, uh, which I, I did change the, the names and some of the details and things to, to, uh, protect the innocent.
1: Yeah. Uh, and the guilty
0: <laughs> and the guilty Uh, But these two companies, uh, you know, if you walked into either of these companies, you would see it would they would look very similar at the surface, you know, very similar org structures, uh, both, you know, had uh, similar KPIs of, um, you know, safety, quality, cost delivery. Um, You would see lots of really great visual management on the walls. Um, So at the surface, you would see two very similar companies. However, you know, underneath one of these companies had an amazing culture of continuous improvement, and the other one had what I like to call a culture of continuous appearance, where they appeared to have everything in order and they appeared to have all of the same things that a true uh, co- company, uh, a culture of continuous improvement would have. Uh, but underneath it was a very toxic culture and a place where people didn't enjoy to work, the turnover was really high. Um, a lot of problems, no sustainability of, of actions, lots of those fires, you know, that we talked about earlier, fires all over the place, and um, uh, just, a, just a really tough environment. And the 12 questions that I lay out in the book, which we talked uh, quite extensively about two of those questions, um, but those uh, really are meant to uh, become a guide, you know, as you answer these questions, they should help to create some priority Um, And for leaders so that they can start experimenting and trying some different things within their organization to really start uh, either moving from having a culture of continuous appearance to having a culture of continuous improvement. Or, you know, maybe you're hearing about all of this for the first time, you know, this will help you establish that roadmap that you need as an organization to start, um, you know, moving toward developing a culture of continuous improvement. Nice. Yeah.
1: Well, I can't wait to read it.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, you can you can uh, order the book. You can go to the the our website at avoidcontinuousappearance.com dot Okay. Um, or it's available on Amazon too. Either the ebook or the the paperback will be available, and it's you can purchase it right now for presale. Otherwise, it's available, um, you know, after January thirteenth and then February tenth for the ebook.
1: Nice. Well, congrats again. And, and I'll link out uh, for anybody listening. I'll link out in the show notes to your website, the book website, Amazon. So it'll be easy for people to click and be able to get it. And I'm, I, I, I got to hand it to you. Like, you, you know, I mentioned before we hopped on, uh, I only wrote a chapter of the book a couple <laughs> of three years ago. And it was like, that was daunting. So uh, writing a whole book. I get it. My hat's off to you. It's I
0: appreciate that, Paul. It's been a lot of work. Uh, but you know, again, this is, this is where my passion is. This is what I love to do. And, you know, my real hope is that this book will end up in the hands of the people that need it most and that it could be, you know, transformative for them and for their organization. And that's, that's really what I I hope will happen.
1: I'm sure it will. And I'll, I'll do my best. I'll, like I said, I'm going to grab mine and, uh, I can't wait to read it and I wish you all the best of luck with it.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Paul.
1: All right, Patrick, take it easy. All right. Take care. Talk to you later. Hey everybody. It's Paul. Before I let you go, I just wanted to say thanks again for listening. Um, You've really made doing this podcast a very rewarding experience for me. Uh, I get a lot of messages from, from listeners and uh, you know, everyone has something nice to say, which I very much appreciate. Uh, of course, I'm always open to you know, uh, feedback on ways we can make it better. I mean, that's Kaizen, after all. And by no stretch do I claim to have got this all figured out. So if there's things that I could do better, please, by all means, uh, feel free to reach out and let me know. And likewise, if there's a, somebody that you think would be a great guest, um, also let me know. Um, you know, There's a chance I don't know who those, who those folks are. So somebody that you can help put us in touch with you know somebody you want to learn more about certainly let me know and i'll reach out uh, to those folks but um i hope you find the podcast fun and entertaining uh uh, educational and and maybe even a little inspirational i hope Um, that's really what i'm i'm going after with this whole thing so thanks again and uh one small ask uh, if you don't mind, if you listen, you know, whatever your preferred platform is, if you could just, you know, subscribe, uh, give us five stars on Apple or, or whatever. Again, whatever platform you listen to, it just it, it helps, um, you know, the algorithms like it. So if you could do that for me, I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks, everybody.